The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. On this week's Court TV podcast, the death of George Floyd is back in the headlines due to the release of the complete body camera footage from two of the officers involved. Court TV's Ted Rollins is here to talk about the implications of these videos and what it means for the case going forward. Then I'll break down what's revealed in the video with defense attorney Eklund Mercy. This is the Court TV podcast with Vinny Politan. Welcome to the Court TV Podcast. I'm Vinny Politan. Uh, thank you so much for listening, downloading, and, and sharing with a friend. And in this week's episode, um, we're going to do things slightly differently, but it's because it's it's a case that has so much... It's, it's heavy. It, it's a heavy lift because it has done so much and changed so much about um, our system of justice the way we we see life, the way we look at each other, the way we react to one another, what we think, what we say, what we do. And of course, I'm talking about the George Floyd case. And up until this point, really, for the most part, we've seen eight horrific minutes, eight absolutely uh, horrendous, like something we've never seen. And, And we know the impact that those eight minutes have had on our society, on our system of justice, on everything that is happening. It changed. It changed everything. But there's more video. And Court TV had to fight. But that video has now been released, and it's the, it's the body cam footage from two of the officers. And in total, about 32 minutes, so it's like an, it's like an additional you know, 24 minutes or so of video that we have now seen, we have now heard, and we have a much um, larger picture. I was going to say clearer, but I don't know if it's clearer. That's what we all have to figure out here. But we've got a much larger picture of what happened that day, what transpired, and what led up to George Floyd in that eight-minute video begging for his life, begging to be able to breathe, and then dying in front of our eyes. So the video has been released, Court TV has it, and we are going to talk about it during this podcast. And I want to begin by bringing in a Court TV anchor, uh, Ted Rollins. Um, Ted, uh, here's where I want to start this conversation, because you and I have been covering the story since the original eight-minute video, since um, it happened you now have looked at these videos. I know you've watched them several times, more than several times, studied them, picked them apart. Has anything changed in your mind as to what happened that day, or has anything become clearer to you as to what happened that day? Yeah, well, what's, what's clear to me is that eight minutes that you talked about, the, the eight minutes that we all watched, the eight horrific minutes, they're still the worst eight minutes of this video from a different perspective. Those are the minutes where you are just literally watching somebody die and you're wondering why these officers in unison are together and they can't see what everybody else is seeing around them. You you hear um, this new video, I mean, you can hear so clearly these, but you can't see them, 
the people that are watching and they're saying, stop, stop, do something, do something. And to me, that really sticks out. The rest of it adds the full picture. And you now, when you watch the whole thing, you can do it two ways. You can see it from George Floyd's perspective, knowing that he's going to die and his fear, his anxiety is so real and it's so visual. Then you can also take it from, it's just another day as a police officer. And you, from their perspective, it's like, oh, this guy's not cooperating. He's, you know, and, and nothing the police are, is no, nothing they do. Um, there's nothing you can point at said there, there's where they really turn. There's where they were, you know, they went after Floyd. They are not listening and they're not seeing what is so obvious. And that is a man in distress. Those eight minutes from the, Police officers' body cams perspective, you're right, is, is not any better. It's not any better. And the thing that struck me is that as you, as you watch the videos, you get up to like minute 16, I think it was, of the video. And that's when George Floyd stops responding. There's, there's, there's nothing. And this is a man who, as we watched the video, this is the other thing that struck me, was um, his state. I mean, the state of agitation or distress however you want to describe it, caused by whatever caused it. And, and to me, that's not clear. That's why I don't think this is clearer, but he's clearly distressed and agitated. And that continues when he's on the ground. But then it stops. But the reaction of the officers, as you stated, Ted, continues. There's no acknowledgement that this entire situation has changed drastically. And I think it's about four minutes. For four minutes, there's there's no response. So those are two of my takeaways. You know, the other part of this is, is we get to hear from George Floyd at different parts of everything that's transpiring. I thought it was interesting when George Floyd was speaking with Officer King after he's removed from his car and he's cuffed. Let's take a listen to that. Man, you look at yourselves. I don't want no problems. I ain't gonna do nothing. Man, you know why we're here? Why? We're here because it sounds like you gave a fake bill to the individuals in there. Yeah. You understand that? Yes. And do you know why we pulled you out of the car? Because you was not listening to anything we told you. Right. I didn't know what was going on. You listened to us and we will tell you what's going on, all right? When you're moving around like that, that makes us think way more is going on than we need to know. Right. Okay, so this is Floyd with Officer King. He's been cuffed. He's out of the car. He's on the sidewalk. And how would you describe his, his demeanor? Because for me... George Floyd goes from agitated, then there's a, 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 a moment where it becomes a little bit more calm, but then it ramps up again. Yeah, his, he's interested in why they're finally telling him why they pulled a gun on him. You know, his first introduction was to turn around and see a gun pointed in his face. And he is never told until that moment why they have taken him out of the car, why they are talking to him in the first place. So you do see in his eyes a bit of acknowledgement and he says, oh, okay, now he understands, but he's still very concerned. And as he even articulates, he is scared. He tells them he's scared uh, multiple times. Now, why, you mentioned, why is he in that state? Well, we do know that the toxicology re results uh, are back and he had drugs in his so that is part of the equation here. And I think for a jury, it's going to be a major part of it. Because the question is, did the officers kill George Floyd? Did their actions kill George Floyd? Um, did Derek Chauvin's knee do it? Was it also Lane and, and Koenig? When you add the 
they are talking throughout about we think he's on something, and then the toxicology comes back, he is on something. I think it's as disgusting and horrible as this video is, and all this, you know, the eight minutes and the rest of it, this video does bring that back into the forefront too. And um, I, 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 I don't know that this is going to stand up, at least for Lane uh, and Kane. It's a big part of the case, causation, because you're going to have uh, forensic pathologists who the defense is going to hire, whether it's one or four of them, you know, one for each officer. They're going to come into the courtroom and they're going to have um, a lot to work with. You know, sometimes there, there's nothing there, but they're going to be talking about COVID. They're going to be talking about uh, fentanyl. They're going to be talking about methamphetamine. They're going to be talking about underlying heart issues as well. So um, there's going to be a battle for causation. Now, you mentioned why was he acting the way he was acting. I think part of the argument from the defense is going to be the drugs, but there, there may be another explanation. And, and this came out during this body cam footage that was released where you've got one of the officers speaking with one of the passengers about George Floyd's reaction. What's his deal? I don't know. That's my ex. I don't know. Why is he getting all squirrely and not showing his hands and just being all weird like that? Because he's been shot before. Well, I get that, but still, when officers say get out of the car, is he drunk? Is he on something? No, he got a thing going on. I'm telling you about the police. We have problems all the time when they come, especially when that man stood that gun like that. It's been one. So here, Ted, we get right back to what you were talking about with the, the officer Lane who pulls the gun on George Floyd uh, towards the beginning of his interaction with George Floyd. Now, from the police officer's perspective, um, he's saying, listen, uh, I wanted both hands. I couldn't see his right hand. And I think the argument from the defense is going to be that right hand was crumbling up a bunch of uh, fake $20 bills that were found inside the car. And the officer had no idea what was going on with the right hand. Uh, nonetheless, the impact of someone who's been shot once already seeing a gun it, it, it could have triggered, uh, and it's a bad word, I understand, but could have triggered what happened here. Absolutely. And you see it in his eyes when he turns and he sees the gun pointed. Um, he is scared. And then he immediately articulates it. He says, I've, I was shot before and don't shoot me and please don't shoot me. Don't shoot me. He, in his mind, you could see is going right there to getting shot. He thinks he is possibly going to get shot. And he, you could see the, the fear in his, in his eyes. And, uh, and I'm wondering, you, you take that and you, you take the panic, the situation, and then he's in this agitated, distressed, panicked state. And it, escalates everything because there's nothing done to, to to bring him back down you know and i've spoken to some police officers about this and the ones who are critical of officer lane at that moment who is a rookie right by the way four days uh, it, yeah four days is at that point his demeanor adds to the escalation once he sees the two hands and knows okay this is an investigation into a fake 20 dollars bill for a pack of cigarettes Okay, maybe now we kick it down a notch and, and try to figure it out. But that doesn't happen. Absolutely doesn't happen. But Officer Lane, there's another part. Let's get back to the, the eight minutes that we were talking about, Ted. And this is probably the most important piece of evidence for Officer Lane. Again, the rookie, the one who pulled the gun, uh, the first one to interact with George Floyd, the one who is uh, one of the three officers on him, not the one on the neck, though. And, and here he 
in the midst of all this, he is questioning whether or not George Floyd, because he detects some level of distress from George Floyd, which is obvious to everyone else, and asks about rolling him on his side. Let's take a listen. Roll him on the side. Okay. I just worried about the, the delirium or whatever. That's fine, man. Okay, that's false. Okay, so to me, this is the best piece of evidence for Officer Lane distinguishing him from the rest of the officers there. Um, how powerful do you think it ends up being? How important does it end up being? Because uh, the prosecutors obviously were not impressed. Yeah, I, it works both ways. The problem for Lane is that he is acknowledging that Floyd's in trouble, where the other ones are just seem to be idiots. They don't pick up on what everyone else is picking up on. That moment is hard. It's it works for him in the way that he acknowledges it, but his, his superior told him, no, we keep going the way we're going. But it works against him because he should have stopped it. He should have said, listen, the guy's dying. Um, later, he even says he just passed out. Lane acknowledges that, too, and articulates that. He knows that what he, he knows what he's watching. He's watching a man die and he's worried. He doesn't know what to do. It's going to be fascinating to see how it plays because you, you can really go both ways. Yeah, and it, and it gets back to what you said from the beginning, which is the frustrating part. He he knows he's passed out. The whole crowd knows he's passed out, but they have not changed what they're doing. They have not changed their reaction to the situation. And to me, that's, that's where prosecutors have to focus their case here. Uh, Ted Rollins, anchor for Court TV, superstar journalist. Thank you so much. We will speak again probably uh, on the show again tonight, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks, Vinny. All right. All right. When we come back, what we usually do – is uh, bring in someone, usually a criminal defense attorney, because you know how I get along with them, and we and we debate something, uh, but it's it's just not it's just not right. It's not right to debate. I I, I am still in this case on a fact finding mission, and 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 to find the facts in this case, you have to see it through your own eyes, your own experience, but you have to see it through someone else's eyes who has a different viewpoint, who has a different experience. So when we return, uh, someone who could not be more different than I am. In, in so many ways, except that we both have Jersey roots, which is important, which is important. Eklund Mercy, great criminal defense attorney, up next. As, as we go fact-finding here and trying to, to figure out what happened and what it means and whether or not we are seeing things the same or we're seeing things differently. For more Court TV, watch it on cable, over the air, Roku, or go to CourtTV.com and stream live gavel-to-gavel coverage. Catch up on the big moments from our current cases and relive some of Court TV's most historic trials. Court TV, your front-row seat to justice. So when you look at these new body cam videos that have been finally released, thanks to the uh, work of Court TV and our attorneys, you know, we all look at it through our own eyes and our own experience, and that's what jurors end up doing. And, and you know, 12 jurors will look at the same video, and they may see things a little differently. And that's why, in, in this case, um, I'm looking at this case one way, 
as a prosecutor, what are the obstacles, what are the problems that I potentially have, but I'm also looking at it as a human being from my experience as to what I am exactly seeing and, and what is happening and what is transpiring. Um, but I, I'm, I, I want to hear from other people. I need to hear from other people because I think it's important. It, it's super important, especially in this case, because this video from just, it's only been out uh, you know, a short time and, and I'm getting such drastically different interpretations of it. So let's, let's, let's do that right now. Let me bring in Eklund Mercy, fantastic criminal defense attorney who is, um, you know, almost the opposite of me, almost. Would, would you describe uh, you and I as almost opposites? Yeah, yeah, kind of. Just, just the opposite <laughs> side of the coin. That's, that's, that's how we are. <laughs> Yet, we, we find a way to get along. And isn't that just a lesson for the world, Eklund? <laughs> <laughs> She's just smiling. All right. So let me, let me ask you uh, just a, a big picture question. All right. Now you've seen the, the full body cam videos, right? After watching the first eight minutes and, and we understood that we understood everyone's reaction to that, which was across the board, pretty unanimous. Now the rest of the video comes out from your perspective, what was revealed to you or what, what makes you see anything differently from watching the full body cam video of what happened to George Floyd in his interaction with police that day? I mean, I couldn't watch it because what you saw was a man who was so afraid that he was so afraid. You can feel it. You can sense that he was afraid. It's like he knew that he could die. And that's what you saw was sheer terror. Like he was sheer fear. And the fact that four officers who should be trained, who should know, who could, who are supposed to be able to read a room, could not see that is a problem. And what we see often is because he's a black man. The issue is you have a big black man in a car, but his face speaks volumes. He didn't pose a threat at that time. Those $20 couldn't do anything to anybody. They actually had the opportunity to write him a ticket and tell him to go to court. But no, they wanted to intimidate that man. Now, here's the thing. As a Black girl, what I've seen often in Jersey specific, well, because I grew up in Jersey, what happens is it's a fear with officers. We, they should be protecting and serving but you could walk on the street with your father, with a pastor, with a well-known person. But if police pass by and if it's a white officer and if you do not stop and acknowledge them, or if you're, if you're having fun and you don't stop when the cops come, they can come out and just bother you and just annoy you. And that is the, that is the state of a lot of Black people. And we see it and we do it so often. We're so used to it that it becomes second nature and it shouldn't be. You're supposed to be protecting and serving. Anybody who read that room, anybody who saw that, any officer, the first thing that they could have done, if you thought that he was doing, if, if you thought that it was delirium, then call the ambulance. He told you he was claustrophobic. You wanted to take him in. Call the, that is your option. Four of them had that option. Nobody called the paramedic. That would have dispelled all of it. That would have stopped all of it. But you know what? When they called the paramedic, after he died, 
And that's it. It, it makes no sense. He did not have to die. And I don't think that is that hard for a prosecutor to be able to prosecute this case. I really don't. All right. L- let's start with the initial approach because you, you, you addressed it. Um, we're going to play right now the, the audio of Officer Lane approaching George Floyd for the first time. You see your hands. Stay in the sorry. car. Let I'm me sorry. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let I'm sorry. me see your other hand. Please, Both hands. Please, Both hands. Please, 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 God dang, man. Man, I got, I got shot the same way, Mr. Officer, before. Okay, well, when I say let me I'm see sorry. your hands, you put your oh. hands up. Man, I'm so sorry, Mr. Officer. You got them? Man, dang, man. Put your hands on top of your head. Man, Mr. Officer. Last time I got shot like that, Mr. Officer. Hands on top of your head. Hands on top of your head. Step out of the vehicle and step away from me, all right? Step out and face away. <laughs> Step out and face away. Okay, Mr. Officer, please don't shoot me. Please, man. I'm not going to shoot please. you. Step out and face no, away. I'm going to get you out of here, man. Please don't shoot me, man. Please, man. I just lost my mom, man. Step out and face away. Step out and face away. Please don't shoot me, Mr. Officer. Please. Don't shoot me, man. Please. Step out and face away. Can you not shoot me, man? I'm not shooting you. Step out and face okay, away. Okay, okay. Please. Please, please, man. All right, Eklund, when I watch this, okay, and, and I watch police videos every day, every, every, anytime an officer approaches someone in a car, they want to see your hands. So from my perspective, what I see is an officer who sees someone doing something with their right hand, he now doesn't know what this person is going to do with this right hand, doesn't know him, so he draws his weapon, then once the hand comes up on the steering wheel and he sees it. He then holsters his weapon. Do you see it differently? No, the, the issue is, is that when you stop somebody, they could have been doing something beforehand. I don't, I'm not supposed to account for every movement that I make. If you're stopping me, if I'm doing this and I don't know, or I don't hear you, a lot of times people don't, Understand that he heard when the door was open, you can hear. You understand? So he probably could not hear him. He probably was doing something else. And then to turn around and see a gun, read the room. The issue is is that at, at that point, when he did see his hands and when he's explaining and all of that, he becomes a citizen. And now he needs your help. But he didn't see that. It was like a public enemy number one. And he did nothing to them. And even the actual crime that he's that they're saying that he did didn't warrant any of it. It didn't warrant four people. You know what it warrant? A ticket. Stop spending $20. And here, I'll see you in court later. But no, they wanted to intimidate that man. They did like a, a scene from training day. And guess what? He's dead now. Now, the next part of the video I want to go through is and you mentioned this where Floyd is talking about being claustrophobic. And this is where they are trying to at this point he's under arrest for forgery and they're trying to get him into the squad car. Mm-hmm. So let's take a listen to a little bit of that. 
Anything sharp on you? I won't do nothing to hurt y'all, but I was No, sir. Not even like a comb or nothing? Nothing, because I don't have nothing. Why y'all doing me like that, Mr. Officer? Please, crack it, doing it for me and stuff, man. I am claustrophobic for real, Mr. Officer. You got him? Can you please crack it for me? Please, yes, remember my name. It. Stay I with will. me, man. I will. Please stay with me, man. Thank you. God, man. I didn't know I was going to happen, man. Please, man. I just want my hand free. I don't want to do none of y'all, man. Nothing. Take a seat. I'm gonna die, man. You need to take a seat you right know, now. And I just had COVID, man. I don't want to go back to that. Take okay, a seat. I'll roll the window no. down. Hey, listen. Dang, man. Listen. I'm not that kind of guy. Okay, so at this point, what, what is escalating this situation? What is making this, this get more dangerous, more adversarial? They have handcuffs on George Floyd, and they want to put him into the back of the squad car because apparently... He's under arrest for forgery, and they're going to, I guess, take him down to the precinct and do whatever they do. So what should be happening here? What, what would make this situation better, smoother, safer, and not have the result that we ended up with? Like I said, calling the paramedics. He told you that he, he, he even said, don't leave me alone. So he told you that he had an issue. He's asking for help from the people who essentially will kill him later. But he's asking, don't leave me alone. All right. At the very least, don't leave me alone. And then all you have to do, he's telling you real things. People get real claustrophobic just because he's big and black. He can be claustrophobic. Big people can be claustrophobic. Little people can be claustrophobic. And that is an actual thing. So at that point, why don't we get that big old um, ambulance truck and you will be transported and will be safe? At the end of the day, nothing equals violence. Forgery is not a violent crime. So what forgery is not a violent crime. He did not present as being violent. I think they agitated it so much to just create a reason to arrest him that way. And I feel that you have to listen because here's the thing. If it was officers looking at other people doing what they did to George Floyd, they would have paid attention. Well, why didn't you stop when the witnesses said this? You heard them say no. You heard him yell, he can't breathe and you still went on. They would have questioned every single witness, used all that evidence against those people. And just because these people have um, uniforms, now they don't, adhe- they don't have to adhere to the laws. It makes no sense. There was no reason for George Floyd to die. None at all. Now, there's going to be at least one, I would say, likely four trials that we, that we are going to see in this case. Right? I want to focus on Officer Lane. Okay, this is, again, the first officer, the rookie, the one who's charged with aiding and abetting which has the same penalty as Derek Chauvin, up to 40 years. 40 years of prison, aiding and abetting second-degree murder, okay? Now, when he gets into the ambulance, he explains to the EMT what has happened. Let's listen to that, because part of what prosecutors have to prove is, is 
what what's on his mind, what's in his mind. So let's take a listen to what he says is on his mind to the EMT. Uh, it was a forgery report. Yep. And uh, he was just not compliant with getting out of the car. Okay. We were trying to get him in the back of the squad. Okay. And uh, he was just basically resisting. Yep. Um, he wasn't showing us his hands at first. Uh, then we were trying to get him in the squad. He kicked his way out. He was kicking on there. And uh, we came out the other side, and he was fighting us, and we were just basically restraining him until you guys got here. Okay. So, Eklund, let me tell you what I hear. And, and, and to me, again, I look at this as a prosecutor. How do I try this case? This does not help me. Yeah. This hurts me. Because this is Officer Lane explaining what happened and not lying about anything. He's not covering anything up. He's relatively matter-of-fact to a certain extent. And it matches the video, what, what we saw in the video. So I don't, I don't hear someone here who has knew that Derek Chauvin was going to assault this man and decided that he was going to help him do that, right? I, I don't hear that in his voice, and I think if a jury hears this, it, it absolutely helps Lane more than it helps the prosecutors are going to try to put him away for 40 years. I think that what it shows is that he didn't care either way. You know, no, none of them cared for George Floyd. The way you, the way he talked about it again, he's only been on the force for four days. All right. So that means if on the force for four days and a person dies in my custody, I am distraught. I am passing out. I'm hyperventilating. I can't breathe. I can't do anything. I'm throwing up. He was calm, cool, and collected to see that man die. That's the problem because he has been indoctrinated to know that, hey, if that person dies, it's okay. We'll get off. I mean, you have a rookie cop. They don't, they're scared. You can't even, you can't even say boo without them kind of pissing themselves a little bit. And now you see a whole grown man die and you're telling the story verbatim. That means you're preparing to defend yourself. That means you think you're going to get off of it. At the end of the day, I can't wait to hear the trial because we're going to hear a lot of what Derek Chauvin actually taught them, you know, in that four days. So we'll see. But what I what I see was somebody who did not care for, for George Floyd at all and wasn't concerned for him and gave the report to protect himself. Eklund, I'm so glad that you were able to to join us today. I mean, it's always great to have you on, but, uh, you know, stories like this, cases like this that are so important, uh, it's important to have your voice. So uh, appreciate it, Eklund. And I'll see you on the TV. Yes. <laughs> Bye. All right, folks. When we come back, there's another part of this that I want to talk about, and, and that is body cam footage. Body cam footage. Why? Do we have to go to court to see it? I mean, do prosecutors, do police departments, do judges understand the world that we live in? When we come back, I'm going to rant on it.
Follow Court TV live over the air, uninterrupted. If you're watching television with an antenna, just rescan your channels now to add Court TV. And go to CourtTV.com to see the exact channel position and more ways to watch Court TV in your area. So why did we get to see the body cam footage of what happened in the George Floyd case? Why? Because the media, like Court TV, hired attorneys and made arguments, and then some member of the, of the media leaked it to an overseas publication, and that put even more pressure, and then the judge said yes. And, and I, understand, I understand the judge's perspective, right? The judge says, listen, I'm in charge of this trial. I want a fair and impartial trial. I don't want this tried in the media, and, and I want this tried in a courtroom. Everyone should have a fair shot, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I agree 10,000%, and I understand it. I'm a lawyer. I understand it. But what we have to understand is the world that we live in. And in this case in particular, right, and I've made this argument before, we've seen those eight minutes. They're out there. It was citizen cell phone video. So the, the body cam just gave us a more complete picture. And, and I will throw this out there. I mean, if, in fact, the body cam footage would have been released at the same time as the citizen camera, would the reaction of America have been different? I don't know. We'll never know. The world we live in now, everyone's got a camera, and hopefully soon every police officer is wearing a camera, which means when something happens... We can take a look at what happened and make a judgment. And, and the problem is, the world we live in right now, people don't wait. They're not going to wait for the trial. They're not going to wait three months. You know, They're not going to wait for, for the media to file papers and for a judge to make a decision to release something. The, the, the public will react quickly. Quickly. And what we're talking about are, are, are cases involving police and community interaction. And, and we've seen it time and time again where something happens. There are police shootings all the time. 90% or more are absolutely justified. But the, the public will see and hear and say whatever they want and react in a way not based on the facts. So if we have videos of all of these incidents, the transparency now is more important than ever because the public needs to know exactly what happened. Release the videos. Release the videos. It doesn't taint anyone. It is the evidence that a jury would see anyway. It's not like it's not coming in. You know, that's the thing. You try to keep out things that are not admissible as evidence that's going to taint a jury somewhere down the road one, two, three, four years from now when we have a trial. Meanwhile, we've got riots going on everywhere. And we've got distrust or mistrust of our system. The way you trust a system, the way you believe it, it's transparency. Let them see it. There's a police shooting. Release the videos. There's an arrest. Release the videos. Just let the public see what is happening. Let them understand it. So if they are going to react, and we are going to have, you know, 60 days of riots, at least it's based on what happened, the complete picture. Not a snapshot. 
Because that's what's happening now. There's a snapshot. Because citizen cameras don't roll in the beginning. They roll in the middle towards the end. They never give us the whole picture. They never do. Now, in this case, I don't know if anything would have changed. Would the public have been as outraged? Would there have been uh, as much of an uprising by people everywhere in cities, towns, suburbs, white, black, young, old? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But we have the ability to let the public know what is happening each and every day. That's what the body cameras are for. They're for transparency. But the transparency does no one any good if you don't release the videos. Then there is no transparency. There's only transparency if we get a court order to get them. It's absurd. It's absurd. I mean, it, and, and for, for the police chiefs and the prosecutors and the judges who are continuing to hold back these videos, they are not seeing what's going on in our country right now. And it's actually part of the problem. Because the, the, only, the only road to solution is open communication and 1,000% transparency. Hopefully all this is a, is a wake-up call. But I don't know. I don't know if it'll change. I don't know if we'll have to keep going to court to get this stuff. It's not about the trials. It's not about the tr this is All of this is way bigger than all the trials. And, and by the way, the jury's going to see this stuff anyway. They're going to see the body camera. I, so I, I cover trials for a living. The body cameras come in. They are evidence in the case because they are recording of what actually happened. So let us see it ahead of time. And, and maybe, just maybe, we'll all have more trust in the system and a better understanding of all of these shootings and arrests and things that are happening day in and day out in small towns, suburban towns, and big cities. We just need it. All right, that's it for me, folks. I got to get ready for my big show. By the way, I'm on TV. Did you know that? 8 o'clock every night on Court TV. So after I do the podcast, then I get ready for the TV show. And it's 8 to 11, Monday through Friday on Court TV. If you have a digital antenna, please rescan it so you can watch the program and become not just a listener, but a viewer. That's it for now. I'm Vinny Politan. Have a great week. And as always, don't forget to hug the kids. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to CourtTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.